Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. We discuss many different um, chronic diseases and discuss how we can improve them and how we can learn more so we can share and share with our colleagues and our, our doctors, etc. Today we're going to talk about mental illness. Of 90 million Americans and 1.7 billion people worldwide suffer from mental illness. In the U.S., only 44% of the adults and 20% of the children receive mental health treatment. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide with 350 million cases. And other than pain from arthritis, depression is the most disabling. At any time in the U.S., 17% are depressed. And in 2017, the Social Security system has declared a new impairment category of mental illness, including depression. But these rates of uh, mental health issues vary because in Japan it's 6.6%, Mexico 8%. The approach of the MDs, the allopathic model, to me seemed akin to throwing darts. If somebody was sedated, we'll give them a medication that will give them energy, such as Wellbutrin. If they were anxious, give them such as something such as Remeron, which will calm them down. Uh, So this, to me, seemed kind of haphazard. There are biomarkers and clinical systems that we, symptoms that we can find in the organic acid tests that give us a hint in which direction to go. For example, in depression, iron, zinc, copper, B12, folate, B6 can help depending on what the underlying um, metabolic issue is. Likewise, with anxiety, magnesium, B3, B12, hydrochloric acid, uh, B6 for clostridia, B9, NAC, and lithium, and many others can help. So today, we are going to look in this further. We have Dr. Christina Bornjahl, I'll just refer to her as Chris, and she's considered an authority in the treatment of mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety, bipolar disorders, and eating disorders. She uses a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual approach. Having out overcome many mental health challenges. She's a gifted speaker and a best-selling author who has shared her wellness philosophy with platforms such as Muriel Hemingway, Out Comes the Sun, The Jenny McCarthy Show, the International Bipolar Foundation, and many health summits and docu-series. She's recommended, she's recognized as a top naturopath to follow by two independent organizations. Her book, Beyond the Label, is a comprehensive guide to naturopathic mental health. I certainly would like to get that. So, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful. Well, tell me about your journey that got you interested in mental health. Mm-hmm. So, my journey, it's always interesting to to pick the starting point but I usually start with my university years and actually a little bit prior to that in high school I had an eating disorder and a little bit prior to that I had taken 
antibiotics for several months to address acne. And we know now that there's a connection between the gut and the brain. Now, those antibiotics didn't actually help my acne, but I subsequently developed an eating disorder. And I am also a recovering overachiever, type A people pleaser. So that combination of a, of a person on the planet is, is it's difficult to, to be highly sensitive as well. So I get to university and I fall into a place that I've never been before, which is experiencing depression and anxiety. The only problem was I didn't know that that was what was happening to me because I had never had it before. So a friend was concerned. She went to the hospital at the university uh, and she spoke to somebody and they suggested she make an appointment for me, which she did. And I went and I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety and prescribed a tricyclic antidepressant. This is in the late 80s. So uh, tricyclic antidepressants were used more commonly. And uh, then I spiraled into another place that I'd never been before, which is uh, I had a psychotic event about three months after starting the antidepressants. And let me tell you, that was also very um, shocking, I guess. I mean, I, I didn't know what was happening to me because I'm adopted. So I did not have a frame of reference from this genetic piece of the puzzle. And subsequently, when I asked doctors why this was happening to me, I didn't actually accept the answer, oh, well, it's genetic, because I couldn't look to my left or my right to verify the truth of that. So I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder type 1, and I can tell you, Susan, I did not know what that was either. <laughs> so I knew nothing about health. I was a commerce student. I only knew depression and the economic sense of the term. I did not know anything about health. And so this was a shock to me. And also I felt a lot of shame and stigma. And so I just suppressed that. And I continued marching through the world wearing this mask that, hey, you know what? I've got it all together on the outside, but on the inside, I was struggling. I ended up graduating and continued that overachieving behavior, ended up reporting to a CEO in a, in a global investment management firm. And again, all the while wearing this mask. And it basically all came to a crescendo, if you will, after a suicide attempt. In, in, and that left me in a coma with kidney failure. And I was on dialysis for several weeks and told I would need a kidney transplant. And what I can tell you is I was certainly not happy when I woke up out of that coma. And I felt like I need to figure something else out here. Like this medication upon medication upon medication. I was taking five psychotropic meds at that time. And listen, I'm a, you know what? If you want to prescribe that, then the thing is a person should get better. And I just wasn't. And so I, I figured I needed to figure out another way to navigate my mental health. And that same friend that had went to the university out of her concern for me, gave me a book to read. And she was a nutritionist. And she was always encouraging me to, to seek care in another form than I, than I was. And eventually I did. Uh, I, and I also it was after reading this quote um, on surrendering in a book by Marianne Williamson, that I, that I leaned into, into healing. And so this quote basically means that surrender is not about breaking out of anything, 
but it's a gentle melting into who you really are. So you take down your armor, you take off the mask, and you discover that all God needs is just one sincere, surrendered moment when love matters more than anything and nothing else matters at all. Wow, what a story. I mean, uh, thank you for sharing that. I mean, to get to renal dialysis and such a serious place, wow, that <laughs> takes a lot of courage to describe that. I'd like to reiterate that uh, psychiatrists, we do give medications upon medications upon medications. We might be medicating the side effect from the previous medication. It's not an optimal approach. And for example, in depression, uh, remission is only uh, achieved about 37% of the time. And in two-thirds of the patients that do get to normal mood, uh, at least two-thirds of them had unresolved symptoms such as anxiety and suicidal ideation. So the allopathic model, while it's providing some help, um, is not quite enough to people who are out there suffering and and if the medications aren't working for them. So, yeah. So what did you do at this point? So at that point, I'm at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. And I, this word love, okay, that for me was a foreign concept. And so that's where I began to investigate for myself. myself. Yes. And I, you know, and this comes back to that question, you know, when did things begin? And so for me, I, you know, I believe that the in utero experience and intergenerational trauma can play a role here. I, I feel that uh, for myself, it was ultimately uh, looking at these other pieces of the puzzle. So Western medicine focuses mostly on the physical level, but we have to understand that we have our thought and we have our emotions and we and we are at the end of the day spiritual beings so that's when i leaned into uh, naturopathic medicine but first i started with an orthomolecular psychiatrist named dr abram hoffer who was nutritionally oriented and that is where i started and that uh was so helpful to me to because of, you cannot you can't just look at your thoughts and deny the nutrition, right? We have to get the physical foundations properly in place. And that's what I did at first. But then eventually, I bumped up against my limiting beliefs and my core beliefs and my shadow beliefs and, and you know, my emotional reactivity and my inability to set boundaries and all of that. So in the book I've written, I talk about the 10 steps. and And I think that it's you know it's a journey and we're all here to grow and and learn and 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 I think the message that I like to leave people with is one that I never got which is healing is is actually possible and a place of mental wellness can be can be for you even if you've been diagnosed with some of these more complicated uh, labels if you will are you on any medications now? Because bipolar one is very, very difficult because what happens is the mood starts getting higher and higher, but the judgment goes before the patient's aware of it. So usually they cannot go take any steps to limit it or to start anything that will help 
bring the mood down. That's one of the most frustrating, and it can be one of the most destructive to a person's life if they have a manic episode in, in, in a public place. So are you on any medications now? Not at this point in time. However, I will take medication if it's needed. So I've had uh, three suicide attempts and six psychotic events in since being diagnosed in 1988. So that's about, I can't do the math that quickly in my head, about 40 years, let's just say 35 years. And yes, I've had a psychotic event in public places and all six of them actually. And it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's this, this difficult word, normal. So Gabor Mate, who I've studied with, talks about the, the role of trauma in mental health and really looks into this myth of normal. And, and, but I hear you. It's, it's a very, um, it's a condition that is tricky to navigate for sure. You have to have a lot of self-awareness. And as you, as you said, the challenge is often you're not objective about your subjective reality. So you think, you know, you're doing just fine. Meanwhile, actually, maybe you are moving into a, a hypomanic state, perhaps. So for myself, I've learned to navigate that piece of the puzzle by managing, first and foremost, sleep, and secondly, stress. And those two go hand in hand. So I find that, actually, do Abraham Hoffer was doing some research in the 1950s into psychedelics, uh, which got squashed at that time and are now making a resurgence. But he also was doing some research into the adrenochrome hypothesis of psychosis, which in a nutshell is looking at this stress component and how certain people may be ha may have a difficulty clearing or dealing with too much cortisol in the system and that is what contributes to psychosis so if we're going to look at it from a well how do we prevent this in individuals then we have to look at that navigating how do people navigate stress which is so individual right that is so important because stress cortisol is the hormone that you know opposite to melatonin when cortisol shoots up that's when we wake up. I mean, it, you right. know, it, it gives us energy, and it also causes inflammation and oxidative stress, which contribute to any d disease we can imagine, even mm -hmm. including the mental health diseases. Also, in bipolar, one has to avoid anything that's going to make their mood go up. I saw people that went manic just by having coffee. So you've yeah. got to avoid certain medications that are stimulating and um, you know, even, you know, just have to be very careful on anything that stimulates you. When was the last time you had a manic episode? 2008. That's pretty good. So that's, uh, we're doing math here, 15 years. So you are moder monitoring this doggone well. Yeah, I mean, and this is a tricky conversation, right? Because I don't, you know, I'm not anti-medication, uh, but I am basically pro-health. So we want to look at 
and that's a really important distinction between naturopathic medicine and and Western medicine. Not that I like to pit the two against each other, uh, but you want to understand that we're looking at why is health not happening in the individual, whereas Western medicine is more focused on what's the diagnosis that we can, you know, the label, if you will, that we can give to you so that we can match you with a medication. But we have to understand that there's no two yous on the planet. So what got you to your dark states of depression or your heights of mania is important. So the, the explanation of how you got there is, is what's missing often when we're taking a case. So we want to, my goal is to restore people to optimum wellness, to balance. And if you need a little medication, to help you along that path, then that's okay. But the key is we want to be well. And I found for myself that I struggled so much from age, well, really, if I am truthful, gosh, pretty much since, again, I think in utero, when I, when I came out of the womb, I was a very uh, anxious child. And um, I was very sensitive. And I look back and on the bipolar tendencies and 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 I and I think well when did I first sort of exhibit that you know because it didn't come out until the medication was prescribed and that was one of my my questions to my initial psychiatrist and and she said well you know only people with with this genetic predisposition are going to have manic events because we prescribe so many antidepressants and not everybody has a manic event, right? So, but that didn't sit well with me because I thought, well, you know, would I have one without the medication, you know? So I think for people listening, I know that you get, I know that I got the message that here, your solution is take this medication for the rest of your life and, and off you go. Oh, oh, and by the way, in about 40 years, you might have some complications from taking this medication because it's not meant for long-term use. And so that was that was challenging for me to accept. So uh, I'm not going to say the journey has been easy. I mean, I have had six events and three, you know, suicide attempts. So there's been lots of bumps on this, this road to recovery. But I do feel that these last 15 years have been the most... Uh, solid, if you will, the most balanced, the most healthy. I really practice what I preach. And I have learned for myself how to navigate. Wow, that's impressive. I'm curious, what's a psychotic episode like when when you're in it? Wow, that's a wonderful question. And, and you know, no one has really ever asked me that. It is... Oh gosh, it is such a heightened state of of your senses. Every sense is on ultimate overdrive. Uh, you, uh, I uh, have delu- have had delusions. I mean, I, I I feel that I you know I have heard voices of you know of of loved ones that have gone or or uh, just you really are you're there but you're not there. You're 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 rising into another another perhaps state that might exist uh, and yet it's I mean it's it's so enticing for some people um, for myself um, I've had some very um, difficult moments because one you know if you want me to share it I can I mean it's 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 quite 
bone chilling. I had a, do you want me to share it? Yes. Yes. So I had a colleague and she it was very good friends with my husband. And we, we kind of had lost touch when we graduated. And my intuition was saying, you know, we need to get in touch with her because we were going to Toronto for a wedding. I was a bridesmaid in this wedding. It was three months after my son's birth. So you can imagine I was nursing and I was there's the lack of sleep piece was there for sure. And the stress piece was there. I get to this wedding and I, and I'm escalating and I'm aware that escalating. And I'm, and you can imagine there's a lot of naturopathic doctors. This is a naturopathic wedding. <laughs> there's like so many bubbles. And um, anyways, my, I'm escalating and I, I say to my husband that uh, Stella is here and he's like, no, she's not Chris. She's not here. And I'm like, no, she is. She is. And everyone was like, no, Chris, you know, she's not. So the next day uh, I found out that actually that evening Stella had committed suicide. Oh. Now we're not supposed to say committed suicide. So I have to rephrase myself there. I'm old. I'm the, you know, Yes. And so that, I get chills just mentioning it because how was I, you know, I, I was really on that track, right? I was focused on this. this. Uh, so I, you know, take from that what you will. I feel that uh, on some way I was, you know, connected with her and um, it was a very difficult, difficult time for me. One thing I would wonder is there are some people that connect with the deceased Mm -hmm. energetically and can communicate with them. And some people say that people close to them after they pass on, come back and communicate. You might have connected to a reality that normal people, normal, whatever that means, don't recognize. So that makes me question, is psychosis just possibly going to another reality that is real? but we're not controlling it in the physical reality. Uh, it makes me yeah. question. Makes me think, I think about that too. And I think that because of the stigma that's associated with psychosis, I just don't go there because I guess a fear of, but yet it, it, it there's people who are mediums that are, are revered in our society. Right. So it, you know, there's this great quote by Joseph Campbell that says that, that is um, the psychotic drowns in the same water, the mystic swims. I would kind of agree with that. It's, it's a, you know, where I live, it's not uncommon to communicate with people that are in another that have passed on. I mean, a lot of people that do it just uh, when I would start diagnosing is if they're, I mean, if you're aware of the things, then you're not what's going on, then you're really not psychotic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky, it's, it's a very, um, difficult experience to describe um and it but it is um but i think the message is that there's somebody inside right there's there is there is a person inside that the the psychotic umbrella if you will and the psychotic state and we just i think as clinicians we have to dig a little bit deeper to help people navigate it and, and understand, I think, that trauma plays a big role in, in, in mental health in general, but I think in particular in, in psychosis. So that's, that's not 
you know, our society's not comfortable with it and we want to medicate people away, you know, out of it. And, and so uh, that's, that's important because I've had many patients tell me they talk to dead people, but as long as they're clear and see it in perspective, I don't, you know, I, I'm not getting out the prescription pad for that. I mean, you know, a lot of people do that. A lot of people have beliefs bipolar disorder type one functioning well. The problem is, is that outside society, and this might be the whole dichotomy in the allopathic approach, is you label it as horrible. Mm-hmm. And it's a stigma, and, you know, people that do that probably keep quiet about it. But I've had many patients, so I just use it and say, well, if they're a stinker in this lifetime, do you think they're going to be any better the next time? I just use it as an intervention, and I don't, I don't get excited about it if they say, tell me that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you mentioned there were 10 steps in your book. So what are those 10 steps? Yeah, so so basically, first, we just want to acknowledge that there's these four bigger pieces to us. So we have the physical level, then we have the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. And on the physical level, there's three macro systems in the body. Essentially, we've got the neurotransmitters, our hormones, and our organs of detoxification and our immune system. So it's our jobs as clinicians to figure out, okay, well, which macro system or systems do we need to support in an individual that comes into our office that's struggling and then on the physical level we are putting in the four foundational building blocks which first and foremost is nutrition and supplementation and then it's sleep and then exercise and then the managing stress piece of the puzzle so when i'm working with people i I ask them First and foremost, which of the macro systems, you know, do you think? Because, you know, people, they're, they've been in their body way longer than we've sat with them across the table. They know themselves pretty good, but they don't often give themselves enough credit because uh, I think just the way the medical system has made people think that they know it all and disempowered everyone to think that they don't know anything about themselves. So most people are, are, are you know, they, they have a, an inkling that, yeah, you know, my hormones or, and this is why when did it start is such an important question, right? Like one of my pet peeves is, is when practitioners, when women come in in the perimenopause, menopause time and, and, they're, and they're prescribed neurotransmitter support when clearly it's a time of hormonal shift. So that's the building foundation is then understanding those four pieces, the nutrition, sleep, exercise, managing stress. And, and again, asking the patients, what, or the person across from you, which of those four do you think you got to work on? They know, right? They may not know what to do or how to do it. And then that's our job to coach and guide and support. And I am, and then I'm giving them my assessment. Yeah, I agree. You know, I actually, yes, for sure. We've got to get these nutritional building blocks. Here's a really important thing. I was a vegetarian and when I started the protocol with Dr. Hoffer, I had my first year where I was free from depression and anxiety, which I couldn't say was true for the 15 years prior to that. However, when I got to naturopathic school a few years later, still with a lot of cracks in my nutritional foundation, I, as an exercise in nutrition, we had to analyze our diets and the only essential amino acid I was deficient in was tryptophan, which comes in when it comes in the body, can go on to make serotonin and 
melatonin. The pathway is tryptophan, 5-HTP, serotonin, melatonin. And as you mentioned in, in, in the introduction, you need a lot of nutritional cofactors to make that pathway. Exactly. Right. B5, zinc, I mean, to go to melatonin, you might need copper. I mean, it's just huge. Have you heard of Dr. Greenblatt's approach? Because he goes into this in detail. I've spoken with Dr. Greenblatt um, at at an orthomolecular conference. So, yes, absolutely. He was sort of the... Um, one of the integrative psychiatrists that stepped in after Dr. Hoffer passed away. Yeah, uh, he, we've got two interviews with him on this show, and he, does, for those that are interested, he does give very interesting courses looking at the underlying, what is the problem, and what are the pathways being affected, and what are what the, the nutrition needs to be supplemented, and he also has a way, organic acid tests, amino acid tests, whatever, to assess where help is needed. So it's, it's, for those that are interested, it's quite an interesting program. He's also written some books so to help, you know, as we navigate this. But okay, back to your, you're on the physical level, mm-hmm. talking about uh, nutrition, sleep, exercise, and stress, etc. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's those are the first four. And then the next steps are we want to look at your thoughts and your emotions and how you behave and react in the world. We want to understand the role the environment plays in health from three perspectives. So number one, the quality of the food, air, and water. So there are chemicals in everything, and we these chemicals can disrupt our system. So an example of this is if you do start an antidepressant, theoretically, if it's the right macro system, then you should get better. But if you don't, we want to be thinking two things. One is perhaps it was not the right macro system or could have been the right macro system, but the wrong neurotransmitter. And the third piece is perhaps there's something from the environment that's blocking the receptor. So you, it's not a deficiency problem. Typically, it's viewed as a deficiency problem. But it's maybe that it cannot, you can make it, but it can't get in the cell. The second idea under the environment is the role of genetics versus epigenetics. As I mentioned, I am adopted. And so I couldn't look to my left or my right to verify the truth of the genetic theory. Epigenetics basically means that genes load the gun, lifestyle pulls the trigger. So it's not so much about whether you have the gene, it's whether or not the gene is turned on or not. And that's Bruce Lipton's work. And then the third concept under the environment is the idea of neuroplasticity, which is based on a book by a Canadian psychiatrist named Norman Deutsch, and it's called How um, The Brain That Changes Itself. So that's a good news story because none of us are are fixed in, in, in like we're lumps of cement and, and can't be changed. So you can create new neural pathways, which is really important. So after that, then I look at your ability to be compassionate with yourself, which for many who are depressed is, is just not non-existent. Just like the word love is non-existent for, in my vocabula- vocabulary, so was the word compassion or self-compassion. And then spirituality, I think, is an important piece of this puzzle. And then wrapping everything up in love, this word that I mentioned, because... At the end of the day, I do think that there is a a war, if you will, that's going on between uh, these two sides of yourself. And, you know, to speak in scientific terms, the, the nervous system is one of the king systems in the body. So you have two 
branches to this sympathetic and parasympathetic. Or you can think in more layman's terms, just stressed or relaxed, or fear or love. And the more sympathetic of a sympathetic state you're in or a stress state you're in, then again, you're going to produce more cortisol. That can disrupt your sleep because cortisol has an inverse relationship with melatonin. And so I think that when we're wanting to address root cause medicine, we have to look at all of those pieces of the puzzle that I just talked about. So, uh, so where does one start? Is this a typical naturopathic approach? I think a typical naturopathic approach, I think I would say this is a unique naturopathic approach, but I think a typical naturopathic approach looks at the physical level much differently than the, you know, the Western doctor. So we'll, and, and also the therapeutics that we have and the tools that we use are a little bit different because we're trained in botanical medicine and nutrition and homeopathy and acupuncture, right? So we're like the GPs, if you will, of the alternative world. And so we'll bring in energetic medicine and other ideas that 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 you're not gonna get from the standard medical model. So most naturopathic doctors are well-versed and programmed um, to, to help people on the physical level. And that includes doing some of these tests that you've mentioned, organic acid testing, Dutch hormone testing, metal heavy metal testing right there's many other tests that we can do and utilize to assess even just how we interpret blood work is different as well right is it functional and optimal or are you are you um like medical doctors often will wait until you're outside a reference range <laughs> right so we yeah. look at where you are in the reference range so but then, I, you know, I've got a unique training. I've got training in six different types of, of counseling modalities. So I bring in this mental, emotional, spiritual piece, which, you know, I'm not a licensed therapist, but I, I really have bring in my own, you know, lived experience and, and the healing journey that I've been on. Because you can only guide somebody really as far as you've gone yourself. So how, what, tell me about the energetic medicine. Yeah, so the difference between, you know, you and me and a cadaver is is life flow. In Ayurvedic med medicine, they call it prana. In Chinese medicine, they call it chi. In Western, I guess they might call it breath, right? Spirit, I mean, life flow, right? And And so energetics can be blocked or affected depending on what's happened to you. So, for example... Um, and, you know, and, well, Chinese medicine is is a whole other conversation, right? It's it's looking at you from a completely different lens and perspective. But in Chinese medicine, they actually believe that mania is is an overactivation of the heart meridian, which will show up as a on the tip of your tongue is red, likely. That's right, and and actually on the tongue, in Chinese medicine, the tongue is mapped out to represent different organs. So the tip is the heart. So the tongue and the ear and the pulses are diagnostic in Chinese medicine. So a lot of people brush their tongue, right? And actually in Chinese medicine, we don't want you to brush your tongue because it's diagnostic. It's telling me, do you have much too much yin? Do you have too much yang? You know, is this an excess picture, a deficiency picture, a heat picture? Like what's happening? It tells you what's the body's, um, what state the body's in. But in Western medicine, we're taught bacteria, bad, scrub it away <laughs> so um, 
acupuncture help you, Chinese medicine? Yes, I didn't. Uh, it wasn't the main modality that I that I used, but it was a modality that was introduced because my uh, initial naturopathic doctor, his name is Dr. Larry Chan, and he was a traditional Chinese medicine um, acupuncturist as well as a naturopathic doctor uh, as well as a chiropractor. So he did a lot of um, uh, Vega testing, and also he did. Applied kinesiology. What's interesting about how energetically the body is connected, uh, you mentioned that the tongue, you know, various organs are in various places, and you mentioned the ear. Well, there's something called a homunculus, which is kind of a representative of the body, and these are found in the ear for auricular medicine it's found in the hand for korean acupuncture it's found on the scalp for japanese acupuncture reflexology's got the same principle so there's definitely some kind of energetic something or other going through our bodies which is quite interesting mhm mhm it is it's very it's very fascinating very fascinating and i think we have to be open minded to these concepts that you know we can't see the wind but we know the wind's there Right. Mm-hmm. And I think Western medicine, you know, for example, home- homeopathy is an energetic form of medicine, but it gets it gets dismissed because we're so programmed to believe that we have to actually physically see the molecules, if you will. And homeopathy is a very powerful form of energetic medicine. So it's it's really being open minded to understanding that. There are many roads to wellness, and and I and I believe that healing is is possible. Do you know of any shortcuts? For example, can one go inside themselves and through various meditations or shamanic rituals or whatever, and go find have a discussion with that part of the body? I mean, obviously, kinesiology will connect. Maybe to, rather than peel the onion from the outside, go into the core value, go inside through some mechanism. Do you you know of any such approach? Well, one thing that I teach is just how to differentiate between the voice of your heart, soul, intuition, whatever word floats your boat here, and the egoic mind. Because most of us are living from the neck up. So I do, I can, you know, that's something. But I think that this is, it's hard to do on your own, although you, you know, it's possible. I just know for myself, I definitely needed the teachers to help guide me to understand where I was blocked. And an insight into blockage could look like this. I'll, I'll just share with for myself. I pretty much the moment I started my corporate career, I wanted to quit it. But um, I didn't right away it took me a decade to do so. And people got tired, I think of 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 listening to me complain about my work. And, and I realized after I had, I had quit, why that was difficult for me. And it's because of my core wound is comes down to rejection. So I, if you're always going to do what's safer for you, even though it might not make sense. So it felt safer to me to stay in the the current role of or the previous role of my job that was literally sucking the life out of me than to risk rejection looking for another one because abandonment, rejection, being left at birth 
is is a was a was a core wound of mine. It was not in my conscious awareness, but it was the subconscious mind is running the show for many from for all of us. And it is 80 90% of the show here. So until you can make these beliefs conscious, then from that place you can create change. But whenever you're say you want something, so an insight into that is whenever you say you want to do something, but you don't do it. You know, it could be leave a marriage. It could be, in my case, leave a career. It could be uh, lose 20 pounds. It could be, you know, stop smoking, whatever it is. There's, there's, there's something that's driving you to be safe, a belief. And this is the work that um, many different um, psychotherapists can, you know, that talk about, like there's Richard Swartz and parts work. And then there's Gabor Mate with Compassion Inquiry. There's Daniel Siegel with his work. I mean, there's, you know, Debbie Ford with, with shadow beliefs. Like there's so many people out there that are, are guides. And, and I wouldn't be here if I hadn't done some of this work with other teachers to help me because I didn't, wasn't able to figure it out all by myself. Wow. And I think all of us have the issue of rejection. I mean, who doesn't? It's pretty common. <laughs> but I think it's deeper, right? It's, de- it's deeper in some, I mean, some people don't, though, you know. I, I don't think some, like, some don't. Um, like, some. I don't think everyone has it. I, I think some people are, you know, it depends on your wounds, right? And, and, the, and really, it depends on the beliefs that you've formed, right? And when I met with Gabor Mate, he asked me, he interviewed me for his most recent book called The Myth of Normal, and find, the subtitle is Finding Sanity in an Insane Culture, which I think is really brilliant. And I, he asked me, why so much depression? You know, what emotion have you suppressed? What emotion have you depressed in you? And, you know, I often you look at the emotion you're not comfortable with and the emotion I'm not comfortable with is anger uh, and and again losing control which is what mania is I mean you lose your ultimate ultimately out of control in mania so or psychosis so you know um, so he asked me about anger and and why I was uncomfortable with it and, and through the process of compassionate inquiry what I came out was this this being left you know, being birthed and left at three weeks before I was collected. And, and he asked, you know, how do you think a baby would feel when you're crying for the, you know, the person that you're, 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 you were attuned to, right? The rhythms, the heartbeat, the voice, all of that. And then all of a sudden, of course, you don't have the explicit memory of that, but it's implicit, imprinted on you, right? And then we, we know we, I like to use the Russian stacking dolls as an example, right? We, you know, these rush, you know, the bigger doll on the outside, but we've got all these inner children within us. So we're carrying these these wounds until we can bring them into the light of love and 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 bring some healing to these parts of ourselves. This bit about intuition and following your heart, it seems very important because following my intuition, I've run into some amazing things. And I tend to follow my heart, which everybody says is totally irrational at every step. So mm-hmm. how do you recommend people learn to trust their intuition and heart? Yeah, there's a little exercise that we, are you game to, to be a guinea pig? Why not? Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not already sure. there, but okay, yeah, let's do that- it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Well, we'll try it. You might, you might not, you might, it might not be the best example because you are already there, but we'll see what happens. We'll just, okay. 
yeah. So just, we'll just, and if you're listening, you can just follow along. And, and so for now, just take a deep breath in. And as you exhale, just settling in to your body. And then I'm going to just ask a question or make a statement. And then Susan, if you just repeat it, and then the answer that comes. So the first one, and, and it helps you to place your hand over your heart. And closing your eyes as well, because it just gets the ego out of the way when we close our eyes and connect with our heart and, and ground ourselves in the, in the body with the breath. But the first statement to repeat is, heart, show me where you are. Heart, show me where you are. And then just share if there's a word, color, symbol. Getting the word far. Far, okay. And there's no right or wrong answer here with that one. The second one is heart. Will you ever lie to me? Yes or no? Heart. Will you ever lie to me? No. No. Heart. Have I always followed you? Yes or no? Heart. Have I always followed you? Mostly yes. Okay, so we'll say mostly, we'll actually, we'll, we'll take that as a no. Yeah, because when you're in a system that you either have to survive or you lose your livelihood, you go along with what the idiots are saying. That's right. That's, That's right. the exception. That's right. Survival. So most people, the answer that most people give is, is, is some version of no, right? So mostly yes is some version of no. So we'll just say this, heart. How do you feel when you hear, I haven't always followed you? Heart, how do you feel when I ha haven't always followed you? Disappointed. So we'll just breathe into that, breathe into disappointed. And then we'll ask, Heart, why are you disappointed? Heart, why are you disappointed? And I get you fors have fors forsaken me. You have forsaken me. And, and what I love... As a, as a little sidebar here, is how quickly Susan is in touch with this inner voice. I have the answer before you even ask the question. Yeah, right. Most people don't, but that's because you're, you're, you've, you know, you're spiritually in tune and evolved, right? And have done a lot I of like work. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so that's ego. That's spiritual Maya. So yeah. watch out when somebody, okay. somebody says they're spiritual. Watch out and run. Uh -huh. and those that say don't know, and those that know don't say. Right. Exactly. So, well, so here we go. So the last question is: Heart, can you forgive me for not always following you? Yes or no? Heart. Can you forgive me for not always following you? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And so the quote here to guide people is um, by Joseph Campbell again, which is the heart must usher the mind into the zone of revelation. So we need to learn to live our lives from this heart centered place where we can hear the whispers that come from our soul spirit self. The problem is that we're, most of us are living from the neck up and we're drowned out by the voice of the egoic mind, which is based in fear often. And that's okay in the sense that it's there to protect us from the pain of the past. The problem is that pain that happened in the past isn't actually happening now in the present moment. And so it took me quite some time to differentiate between these two voices. I had a very strong voice intuitive voice but i had a louder 
egoic mind that had the megaphone that was constantly, the minute the whisper came up, hey, change your career, become a naturopathic doctor, the ego would grab the microphone and say, are you out of your mind? You can't do that. And then tell me all the reasons why it was that that was a ridiculous idea. So, you know, it takes a lot of, 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 of wherewithal, courage, strength, bravery, all of these words that, that um, I never resonated with, but have been said to me to, to, to follow the own, your own, the beat, the beat of your own heart. So that's, that's, and I, and again, I was in a very um, fortunate position to be able to go back to high school at the age of 33, because I, I didn't have a family. I didn't have children. You know, I had no debt. I had a great job, right? Uh, by all intenses, you know, by, by looking on the outside, looking in, I was successful, materially speaking, but I wasn't suffering spiritually and emotionally and mentally. So, and again, I was wearing that mask, right? For a long time. Well, and- I just gotten uh, tenure in the foreign service and I quit and went to medical school. Everybody thought I was nuts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just- it makes sense does now well and this is the thing you know you can live your life based on the voices and and influences everyone around of everyone around you or you can learn to listen to the to the beat of your own heart and the message it has for you right i agree Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well we have uh, about seven more minutes i'm just guessing so i want to make sure i get to the messages you find important I find the spiritual aspect of this is very important. I know we've been kind of going in and out of that. So what are the final messages uh, that you give that so people can help themselves? Obviously going to a naturopath, obviously going to somebody in molecular medicine where they're looking at nutrition and looking at the underlying causes. But what messages do you want to make sure our listeners have? Yeah, so I guess the first and foremost is that if you are listening or you know someone who is struggling or, or you yourself are struggling, that just leaving you with this message of hope and, and optimism that there is a road to wellness and you just have to get on it. And a place to start could be with Beyond the Label. I also have a, a program, a group program for patients and also a clinician training program that if you're interested in learning more about how to guide patients, that's available to you as well. So just just know that the that healing is possible, and we do have to start with this. The physical level is a really important place to start, and 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 that eventually, you know, you want to be able to pay attention to your thoughts. And get discerning about them and learn to navigate your mind. Because, you know, I don't think that you're meant to be at the mercy of your mind here. Um, and you, and for me, that was a big piece of the puzzle, was navigating the voice of this inner critic, if you will, that was constantly beating me up every step of the way. And, and that has been a really important piece of the journey since... 2008 for myself or even 2010 even publishing beyond the label i have to say was very scary for me because i wasn't out publicly about the label of bipolar disorder type 1 i had not shared that i'd had any psychotic events i didn't want anyone to know about that 
But until you bring these parts of yourself that you're disowning into the light of love, I think that that for me, that's when healing happened. Because up until that point, I was still at war with myself. I still hated, and hate is a strong word, I really was not at one with um, bipolar disorder at all. I was comfortable talking about depression because a lot of people have it. I was comfortable talking about anxiety. I was comfortable talking about my eating disorder. I was comfortable talking about certain things, but there are certain things I wouldn't talk about. And so I had a lot of fear when I when I pushed the button to um, with the publish button <laughs> on Beyond the Label. Uh, but I, I really... For myself, leaning into truth and vulnerability and honesty and sharing and sharing my experience is is what I think why I think I'm actually still here on the planet with you, having survived three suicide attempts. I mean, I had to reconcile that for myself. Why am I still here? Why am I still here? Does that take a lot of courage? Because Chris came up and told me about these, and I go, whoa. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I just wow what's going on here I mean that takes so much guts yeah and and we're you know we're we're taught to or I was I was taught that this is something you want to hide you know my initial psychiatrist who I who I was with for many 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 years 20 30 long time um love him dearly Dr. Ron Remick he you know he said don't tell anybody you have this <laughs> So, you know, how does that leave you? That leaves you feeling like, oh, God, there's something wrong with me, right? Well, like, there's also I- reality testing. of just, One has to trust their judgment enough for all of their heart of when it's safe to do it. If you mention it at a cocktail party, people are going to run the other direction. So <laughs> I think the message should have been uh, to honor and love this part of yourself, but uh, don't share these sacred secrets in the wrong places. That's right. Anyway, we are coming to a close. So how can people get a hold of you? Sure. My my so my website is my name, so D R Christina C H and then my last name Bjorndal, uh, spelled B J O R N D A L dot com. And then the books Beyond the Label, I have the Essential Diet, Eating for Mental Wellness. That's just a roadmap. If you're looking at where do you want where do I start? I just want to start with nutrition, then grab that eating plan. Uh, those are on your online retailers. Amazon, Barnes and Noble chapters, Indigo in Canada, and you know the usual suspects for social media, <laughs> Instagram and Facebook. Can't bring myself to do any more than that. That's quite a bit. So, audience, there you have it. This is very interesting information. Um, uh, coming off of medication, sometimes, I mean, for years, sometimes people try to get off the antidepressants, and you shouldn't do it until you're got in a safe environment that somebody could help yeah. you. So uh, mm-hmm. I would not do this unless you've got some, some a physician or somebody under their guidance. Uh, I wouldn't tell you to go out and do it, but the message is that there's hope. So share this with your friends and your physician, and above all, be well. you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.